spiraling our way through hour number two of the Jake Feinberg Show. Welcome back inside the studios of KEVT Power Talk, 12, 10 a.m. here in Tucson. Thank you so much for being part of the program today. And it is my honor to introduce one of the most gifted vocalists and composers, arrangers, pianists. She's had a prolific career over the last 50 years. Esra Mohawk, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi, Jake. Nice to be here. This is my first time uh, back somewhat, pardon me, at least my voice, in Tucson since 1968. <laughs> when, when was, uh, were you with the mothers when you came? No, I was with some other people traveling up from Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> were, were you still, were you, were, you, were, you were still Sandy Hurwitz at that point? Yes, and I was still signed to Frank Zappa, but I had taken a little, uh, I had, uh, let's see, I, I, I went to Mendocino, stayed there for a while, and uh, rode down with a bunch of uh, hippie friends in a yellow school bus uh, down to Mexico, and then uh, was coming back up from Mexico <laughs> uh, through Tucson. Sure, well, I mean, and, I, and you haven't been back here since then? I stayed there six days, climbed some rocks, had a good time, <laughs> and no, have <laughs> Well, maybe we'll get you back here someday. It's such, a, it's, it's so great to talk to you, Esther. I wanted to, um, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about um, the influences. The, the when you were in Philadelphia uh, before you became uh, your professional career began, can you talk about a transcendent musical experience, either soul? or jazz that you uh, witnessed as a young young girl? Just my mother singing. My parents wrote songs. I wasn't really... I mean, sure, anything came over the radio <laughs> that, uh, that I liked, you know, I guess at the time, old rock and roll, you know, soul, R&B. And then my mother had this incredible... Um, I can't... Like a Billie Holiday kind of a voice. And um, she... And my father used to write songs together, and um, so I, I started out just, you know, chiming in with a, a word here and there when they needed a rhyme. I was good at that, yeah, you know, even when I was like eight years old or whatever. Just uh, So I kind of grew up rhyming and singing in harmony with my parents, uh, just, you know, for fun. Just uh, I mean, they were semi-serious, uh, but they, they couldn't handle like this. They immediately were... Uh, was it Harry James Band wanted uh, Harry James wanted one of their songs, great song. Why do I feel the way that I do about you? And my mom sang a great. And um, then they, some publisher in Philly had published it. Uh, some guy named Morty Burke, I believe, and and, and uh, Harry James didn't like Morty Burke, so he wouldn't deal with the song. And my parents went, "These people are crazy," and they never dealt with the music business again. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no. Okay, so my question is then: um, uh, Do you? I mean, because you have a, a very um, democratic way of uh, a very, very nice philosophy about sharing credits, giving credit where credit is due. But if you could think, if you could talk about any of the nuanced qualities of songwriting that maybe your parents uh, that, that rubbed off on you, if at all, were there any? Yeah, sure. The just the uh, the flow and the song structure. I you know I had it because of them. I had a natural grasp for that. So I tended to write. If I wrote something creatively, it turned into a song. 
you know, it's the direction I went in. It's really easy to write a song. I mean, I, I write essays, I write poetry and prose, short stories, not that many, a novel, I'm grinning my way through. I mean, when I sit down and write, it's really easy to write. It's just finding the time to do that. Songs, on the other hand, you know, when it comes to a, no, a, a, a full-length book, takes time. But a song, you know, a three-minute or a five, to a five-minute song doesn't take long at all to write. It just comes right out and after several minutes you just have to stop and say okay that's long enough <laughs> <laughs> we're ta- talking to Esther Mohawk here live from Nashville Tennessee here on the Jake Feinberg show um were you uh stimulated by the uh jug band scene of Philadelphia I mean you when did you move to New York I didn't even know they I didn't know they <laughs> right, right. I'm talking about so, so, so the folk scene, the folk scene, the folk scene. Oh no, man, it yeah. was all rock and roll, it was all music. <laughs> I don't know. And then my parents' brand of of the brand of '40s swing kind of thing, and um, in Philadelphia, I don't know. I, I thought I, I was out there setting the trend. There was that much to be influenced uh, by. You know, we went to coffee houses and played our songs on our guitars with the sawdust on the floor and no alcohol. <laughs> Oh, it was a blessing. Right, right. Wonderful, wonderful right. hanging that way. And um, that's one of the things I, that, uh, I don't like about, you know, all this 20, 30, 40, 50 years in between of having to play places where they serve alcohol. It's just, uh, I'd rather have a more discriminating audience I can provide for them. You believe, I mean, it seems self you just think that the, the, the fact that they get jaded like that, they there's no way for them to naturally take in the uh, the, the music itself. Oh, the alcohol is a big reason why there's so much bad music. <laughs> I love it. I, this you are you, you know you are such a that's it that's it that's it. So I mean there's I mean but you're but that seems more of a focus on the artist it's themselves if they're drunk. If they're if they're an alcoholic, then the music's not good. But you're talking about the audience. No, I'm talking about listeners. Listen, what's the music about? If it's not about the people who are listening, you know, basically music is just be serving them. Otherwise, we we just keep it all in our heads and never make a sound. It's all about being heard and who's hearing. You know, those that's who it's about. It's there's the people that matter, and uh, you know, because it's all really for them. You know, any other um, nine to five kind of life may not suit my temperament, but it certainly would have paid a lot more bills <laughs> than dedicating my life to making music just because I, I felt that. I had a responsibility because I made the kind of music no one else made. It was about giving something of yourself. It's like I have a song about it, you know, you, you're the, nobody else but you, only you can be you. Each person has that individual uh, uh, slant to offer to the rest of the world, and, and that's what makes the whole pie taste better, you know, because of all the ingredients. And um, But uh, I'm getting off the subject. No, <laughs> this is, this, this, you're, you're on fire. No, the, um, do you, do you, I, I was thinking about it, how I was going to word the question, but... Um, you know, Zappa, Frank Zappa would not, I mean, even if you were a beautiful, you know, uh, woman uh, from Philadelphia who, you know, uh, might or might not have a, a, a career in music, Zappa wouldn't have have uh, cultivated or, go, or approached you if he didn't think that you were, you had an individual voice and you were a good entertainer. Can you paint, can you paint the picture of the, of the first time he... 
he saw you and then ultimately why he believed uh, that you would be a good fit for the mothers? Uh, well, um, I had just met him with a couple of gals that I came to New York with uh, from Philly. They were visiting Cal Schenkel, who was my boyfriend at the time. We had met in uh, Philadelphia College of Art. Um, we quit together and all that, but <laughs> we dropped, dropped out together. But meanwhile, at this point, um, I was uh, uh, living with him in Philadelphia, and these two girls visited from L.A., where he had lived partial, you know, had visited uh, off and on, and uh, invited me to go with them to New York uh, for the weekend, and off we went. And, uh, boy, it was so easy to just get up and go at that age, you know? <laughs> 18, 19, it's like no, no thought in the world of, oh, I can't, I have to do this or I have to do this. Just off we'd go, like that trip to Mexico I was talking about earlier. But um, anyway, we were walking down Bleecker Street, and there he was coming our way, walking down the street. And uh, and they, we all turned and looked. I had seen, uh, I was aware of Frank Zappa because of Cal Shankle had uh, turned me on to their first album, Freak Out. He brought that back with him from L.A. when he was in L.A. Sure. And so I loved that album, loved the band, went to see them, in fact, a year previously uh, with another friend. We saw the, the one time I had seen them perform live before I met him a year later. Uh, that time uh, was, I guess, 1966. I saw them live, was it Balloon Farm or something like that in New York? And uh, me and my friend were on acid, and boy, the band was just great. And they, um, it was Jeremy Steig and the Satyrs were opening oh, for them, and they were. Oh, <laughs> oh I mean, Donald, that, that Donald band. On drums yeah, and Donald Eddie Mc... Gomez on bass. Oh. oh, man, what an evening of, of wonderful music. And a year later, I ended up being in both of those bands. You were in Jeremy and the Sat, Sat, Satyrs? Satyrs? Yeah, Satyrs. Uh, well, yeah, we just, at one point, he. Um, he he lost his keyboard player, and I said, Lee, the only thing I know how to play are the songs that I write, so we were all just playing my songs. You, I mean, please and tell me that there's... He's on three of my albums, Jeremy, you know. We, I, I've lost track of him these days. I don't think he went to South America. He's in I Japan. Don't know. I he's in he's Japan. still alive. Japan. I loved him. I thought hey. he was brilliant. He's in Japan now. His father, if we just have a Jeremy Steig moment here, uh, his mm -hmm. father is uh, William Steig, who created Shrek, who was a longtime cartoonist with The New Yorker. And um, Well, other than so, that, he uh, also did, I mean, his uh, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble and all those amazing children's books that were read to me and then read to my, I read to my daughters. Uh, that was William Steig. Uh, but Jeremy's in Japan now. And he's a, oh, thank you for letting me know. It's yeah. good to know. I was yeah. Uh, so wait, you're telling me that that I, I I Esra, we we need to get some tapes of this of you in that band. That is unbelievable that you were in that band. I don't think anything like that exists. Oh, yeah, well, actually, they played with me. They were on my first album. Well, we came in with that primordial love. Well, that was which first album? Uh, the that you're, the oh. one I did with Frank, the unfinished album. I only had the band on what one or two cuts, as I recall. It was a a, a crazy full moon, or um, or an eclipse of the moon, <laughs> and uh, and Ian Underwood was producing it, or if you can call it that. And he had he mixed it with the band Wayne. You can hardly hear them. It's horrible what he did. <laughs> Well, we came in. You, know, but, uh, I wanted you can hear them. Yeah. Maybe with the magic of modern mastering, we can bring those sounds out someday, and and uh, and we could hear them better. It's possible. You um, but uh, but, but but Frank, how would you describe? I mean, 
I've taught. I've interviewed. I'm getting back to you. I, I, let me. I'm going to answer your question. I do remember what it was. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> you, so anyway, we're walking down the street, and um, they uh, the girls yell out. <laughs> Uh, ben Frank's canners, uh, because they were places that they hung out in L.A. Of course, I was from Philly and not really part of that, but nevertheless, he let us all in for free and later found out that I was actually from Philadelphia, not L.A. And, um, in fact, later on when I was in the band, he'd introduce me as that strange little person from Philadelphia. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, one day uh, Don Preston was... I guess we started hanging out. I don't know. I couldn't have been too long after we met. You know, I would have needed a place to live or something so i'm not sure how uh but but somehow in a, in a couple few days uh he, their keyboard player don preston wasn't feeling well and a new electric piano had arrived that frank wanted to hear and he knew that i could play and asked me would i try it you know play it for him test it for him and once again, the only songs I knew how to play were my own. So um, <laughs> I started playing my songs, and naturally I started singing along because that's how I play them. And he uh, he stepped back off the stage and he got a mic and set it up in front of me and jumped back again to listen and then jumped back up on the stage again when I was done the song and said, come with me. And... Um, I followed him. He said, "Step into my office," which was basically he sat down a, a couple rows back in the theater, and and we sat down together. And he said, "How would you like to be a mother?" Wow. And I said, "You know, or would you like to be a mother?" And I said, "Sure." He must have said, "Would you like to be a mother?" Because I said, "Sure." I remember that. <laughs> and that was it. I was in the band. Was Billy Mundy on? Was Billy Mundy playing drums? Yes, he was. Billy I, and I stayed yeah, yeah. friends till the end, yeah. Well, because I, I, I was shocked. I wasn't shocked. I just, I mean, we're talking to one of the hippest women in the world. I mean, you got, you were you were synced into the, the rhinos, the rhinoceros band as well at that time. Yeah, yeah, they wanted me to be in that. They were collecting monsters, as they called us back then, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> and I guess Billy quit the mothers right after I did. I was, a, <laughs> and um, and they were trying. They got Billy in there in the rhinoceros and Alan Gerber, who I'm still friends with. He lives up in Canada, in Montreal, uh, and uh, not in Montreal, but Quebec. I mean, uh, and uh, then uh, and the others. And I would have given that band a, a center, a core. I would have given them a real solid songs. For instance, can you remember any? songs no so uh, I, I could have done that for that band and it would have had a more of a lasting uh, impact uh, you know it's a shame Herbie Cohen who was Frank Zappa's partner I was signed to them uh, said I he said he wouldn't allow me to join that band and I didn't know at the time I could have just joined them anyway you know it's not like having, you know, it's like for me, I guess having managers was like having a prison sentence. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it, without ever having seen you perform live before, especially, you know, uh, to have that sort of um, self-assuredness to get on and, and, and sing your songs, because that's the way you did it, and then all of a sudden Frank steps back, sees that you have this persona, you know, that you're, you're telling stories. Uh, it, it's not, I mean, Zappa would not have, given you that not that he was an arrogant person but he was a genius so he obviously identified genius as well 
And it's a, it's a, it, to me, it's one of the most interesting uh, parts of, of your career. Uh, and in, I would gather that you met uh, Cats from the Grateful Dead at that time, too, in New York? Well, see, the first time they played East uh, was at the Cafe of Go-Go. And Howie Solomon, who was the owner, would have me, uh, and, and Barry Imhoff was the manager. He went on to work with Bill Graham at the Fillmore. But um, they would have me open to whoever was playing at the at the Go-Go. So uh, and on weekends, when the mothers were doing three sets a night, I was playing with them, opening to them, and opening to whoever was playing at the go-go. So I was doing like nine sets a night for, hello, $50 a week. So That's awesome. <laughs> well, they promised me 150 in, in the first week that I played. This stuff's all in my book. I'm revealing stuff here, but that's what the interview's about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I... Um, I think uh, Barry paid me $50, and Herbie paid me $50, and I wondered where the other 50 was, but at the end of the week, they said, don't think we don't know you were paid, you were paid twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking a little hip to, like, who, people in the music business were not to be trusted, but, you know, I was happy to be there, man. I was in, like, my favorite band. And uh, so that's what happened is I got to open to the Grateful Dead their first time they played New York. And what what was your impression of, of those cats at that time? Well, you know, they weren't the mothers. I was in I was in the primo band of musicians and they were like a bunch of, you know, kind of countryish you know, just it wasn't the, the musicianship that I was used to, even at nineteen. <laughs> Would you, I mean, you were considered- talk about talk about a downhill trip from there, but uh, but nevertheless they had their own sound. Right. They had they were valid for a different reason for way, the way they were together. They were like a family, and um, and they provided a vibe that that people you know that drew people you know. Would you say popular- that you just you just would you say that they were not uh, all uh, serious uh, musicians though? I mean, they weren't, they weren't... I'm not saying they weren't serious. They just weren't, you know, they weren't of the caliber that they could have gotten into the mothers. That's, there you go. Esther, we got a, a game on this program called Name That Tune. Uh, I want to put, put this track in for you, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and break it down, okay? Okay. Okay.
haunting, haunting music here on the Jake Feinberg Show, which is brought to you by the Stereo Hospital, the Circle Tree Ranch, Abbott Taylor Jewelers, and the Jewish Community Center of Southern Arizona. And we thank them for their support so that people like Ezra Mohawk can come on the Jake Feinberg Show. All right, Ezra, what do you got for us? Yeah, what, 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 what do you <laughs> Well, the song, I guess, was prophetic. I don't even, you know, I just, to me, I wanted to get back to your earliest career. I mean, we, we played that tune Spiral to open, which was, it's, I mean, we'll get into that in a minute, but that, that song was called All This Time Going By. And here, yes, we, here, yes. we, here we are, 2015, that was in 1968, and it's this, this somber, there's just such colors and mood in that tune, and it's just you on piano. Well, I mean, you didn't spend... You didn't waste your time, Ezra. You didn't. You haven't wasted your time. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Thank you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, talk about the genesis of that tune. Where did Where did it come from? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> good, I good. sit down and um, maybe you know somehow I felt when I said the oncoming cold season. Maybe I somehow prophesied the way things would go, even though there was no sign of it at that point. There was nothing to say it would go like that, but I must have felt it and and foreseen it in, in somewhere in my soul, knew it. And so it came out creatively in that song. Um, you talking about because, the you talking about the, the, the direction of the music industry or are you talking about your life? Oh gosh, I'm talking about my life, sure. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, the, the, it's talking about it's a personal song. It's a beautiful song. Um, all this time going by, um, it's just, I was only 19 and I'm, <laughs> well, you, you know, know why? It, yeah, I, the question I have, Esra, um, you know, a lot of my show deals in the metaphysical and I wanted you to talk a little bit about, uh, your, um, your experiences using LSD and how it expanded your consciousness. And if you ever had a transcendent moment, uh, either writing songs or performing while on acid? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I had such experiences long before I ever dropped acid. In fact, I used to say that acid was the closest drug to my actual psyche. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, that's pretty hip. So tell me about those, tell me about those psyche well, experiences. When I was five... I heard a voice and it said to me, there are things that you must go through in order to learn what you must learn in order to do what you will someday do. So I don't know what that is at this point because I, I don't think I did it. If I've done it, I'd like to know. <laughs> oh, you have. I've learned yeah, a lot. you have. I've learned a lot. Maybe, maybe someday when I die, I'll be ready. <laughs> and that's, that's true. I will be. But um, I've got a lot of stuff to do first, and, and, and I, at the pace that I go, <laughs> it's going to take a while. So I'm going to be here for quite some time, working on my book. I've been working on it for, what, 18 years or something. <laughs> and uh, I always say I'm glad I started back then when I could still remember everything. I, I, I can remember a lot of stuff still, though. I'm, I'm doing all right. No, I, I mean, but I mean, I, you know, so you, I mean, but I'm talking about, you know, when 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 LSD was was legal and when it was very pure and the kind of uh, just the transcendent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, well, I, well, know. 
I'm going to, I'm going, I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I, I've got to tell you the ones I had beforehand so, leading up to that. Absolutely. You know? no, so I'm right. going to give you one more. When I was 10, um, I experienced the oneness of my life with the universe. I, I, I felt like my, the top of me went all the way out through the quasars and the, and my feet went was the whole earth. So yeah, I felt that that experience that so years later when they were all doing the meditation and the this and that, you're like <laughs> been there. <laughs> that so yeah, was that was that uh, I mean, can you explain how that you went to the quasar? I mean, was it just some Well, because I often and I still do just stand still in the midst of nature and just let it do me. I love, I love it. This is, I mean, it's so therapeutic for me. This is, continue. I didn't mean to break your, your rope. Keep going. No, no, no. It's great. It's to be a dialogue. I appreciate that. Um, it's just, you know, I still, I'm surrounded here where I live right now on the top of a hill surrounded by oak trees and evergreens and a magnolia tree and a lot of stuff. And, and, and uh, squirrel, the neighbors all hate me. They all have, <laughs> they, 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 they uproot their trees, oh, my God, so that it's easier to mow their lawns. I don't. I have a lawn of, uh, well, fallen leaves. <laughs> <Have> the, <laughs> when right. the wind blows, they all get them. But, <laughs> but I know what I'm doing is environmentally correct. <laughs> and that, um, <laughs> in fact, all the lawns are not not good for the earth. So, um, but anyway, I get to see and feel the breeze and the trees and the birds and the squirrels, and they all are, you know, we are all one. And so I get to have that. I have a connection. I think everybody does. Maybe they're just so busy with other things that they, they, they forget it or they're blind to it. They, you know, they don't delve into it. But with the elements, I have a connection with the elements. I've I've brought I've brought a thunderstorm once to Vegas. <laughs> I said I said, I swear you wanted hey and I wasn't on acid at that time either. <laughs> I just said hey I like thunderstorms you know. I said you ever have thunderstorms here? They went no 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 it wouldn't be good. It'd be like you know would be get the dust off and be like a dust. I said well what if it was a a, a gentle a gentle rain. You know, but still, the, the light show, the you know, the lightning. And they went, oh, that'd be all right. So I brought it. I brought it. I said, Within moments, the dark clouds appeared behind oh, my, it. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> and they came, and it was a gentle rain, and the light show was, like, incredible. Incredible. All over the sky, they were, like, they were, like, spiraling. I'm telling you, it was... I, yeah, you're, you're you are an oracle of some sort. There's no doubt about it. Living on that hill, it's this. That, that, <laughs> but I mean, um, uh, do do you feel so? You, I mean, you didn't. Why did you even need LSD? You you didn't need any uh, consciousness. No, so I didn't really do it a lot. I did. About, I had about fourteen trips all told mm-hmm. over the uh, from whenever it started was sixty five. Oh, no, 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 no. Was seventeen. And, yeah, yeah, 60, uh, 65 to, um, I guess, about 84. That was maybe my last trip. <laughs> Your last trip, okay, that's, that's absolutely. I, um, 
Uh, uh, there is a song I wrote back and then, then at that point. It's on my um, Etern album. It's called Silver Ships. We wrote that on acid. Wow. After, <laughs> is that going to be in the book? Because, I, I mean, I just want to make sure that we're uncovering some new information. That's... Yeah, you are. I hadn't even thought to put any of that in the book. Really. Well, I think it's I think it's important. I I I, 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 mean, I was talking more about heroin in the book. Yeah, well, that to whole, me to me. Um, I have a whole chapter. It's called "Hey, Hey, We're the Junkies." Can you? Can I? I mean, uh, were you? Um, what was it? What was your experience like when you when you got to the, when I was talking off air with Ezra and we were talking about primordial lovers and and you mentioned the jerry Han brotherhood um mm. you know what when did you get into the bay area uh and then how did that affect you because <laughs> that seemed like a perfect place for for you at that at, i know it'd be a perfect place for me now no it's not because it costs three thousand dollars i didn't it, stay there and moved around too much but um yeah I, well, I lived up in mendocino for a while uh on and off but um, I went out there in '67, summer love, uh, because uh, when I opened to the Grateful Dead and became friends with them, they said uh, you must come to the Monterey Pop Festival. So I think I went out there with what Linda Ronstadt, and we hung out in L.A. Anyway, I I went to San Francisco, and uh, at one point with a high school friend of mine. I think that was that that trip, and uh, you know we missed the Monterey Park Festival. We ended up at this free hippie. Fair. I mean, I, <laughs> I went three thousand miles <laughs> to go to this festival, and uh, but meanwhile I hung out in Haight Ashbury and and got to you know breathe in the air filled with patchouli and uh, right. uh people you know everybody uh you know felt comfortable i like I, people should have long hair it's the way it grows it's so it makes people look different from each other and beautiful and uh, all these i'm i'm sorry but all you bald-headed people you know you're going to be bald soon enough <laughs> you know Right. While you have hair, you should, uh, you know, uh, the one good thing that that rat David Crosby said, which was, let your freak flag fly. <laughs> 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 and it's it's true, man. People, they look too, uh, like, Nazis. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'm really judgmental here. No, no, I, I'm, I, I know what you're saying. Opinion. I know what you're I saying. I just tell you, know, anybody who's been wondering about all these bald heads and, and, and not afraid to say it because it might not be politically correct, let me be politically incorrect for you. <laughs> no, I love it. It's true. I, I, the the Would you say that you got close with um, Billy Kreutzman or, or Bobby or Jerry or all of them in the dead? Uh, Bobby and I were, were buddies. I want to talk about and, hate. Tell and me, Phil Lesh, and Phil Lesh and I were an item for a minute. <laughs> oh, my, that's class. That's that's great. No, can you can you talk about? Did you work with John Perry Barlow on on Hayes at all? No, I don't even know who that is. 
Okay, John. Uh, John. No, I worked with Bobby. No, I know. At but the d- same time, I was singing background for for Jerry in in the uh, in, in the Jerry Garcia band. I hooked up with Bobby and 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 uh, helped them with a lyric uh, on a song they were writing called That Hazel. Yeah. Well, okay, so so let's talk. I never met. I didn't really meet the rest. Of the John band. Perry Bar. So Bobby. John Perry Barlow. You know, where where Robert Hunter was Jerry Garcia's lyricist. John Perry Barlow was Bobby's lyricist and quite frankly also melody maker because Bobby was just a an angular rhythm cat. But when did you yeah. I mean uh they could have used me. <laughs> oh, big time. I, I mean uh I so Bobby came to you and said, "Hey, listen, I got this tune." I mean, can you paint me paint the picture of that? That's- yeah, pretty much he asked me to uh work on it with them. That they needed some more lyrics. And you were it was able, easy. Yeah, it was the, and then and then can you talk like that period, that mercurial time, I was listening to this amazing version of, of Lonesome and A Long Way From Home uh, that you did with Jerry Garcia Band. How did... Yeah. I mean, uh, they were going through a transition. They wanted some uh, some female singers. How did how did you wind up uh, on that gig? What, the Jerry Garcia Band? Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, John Kahn... Knew my husband at the time, Daoud Shaw, who was the original drummer with Saturday Night Live and played with Van Morrison for 10 years. He's on all those big songs, Brown Eye Girl. And um, he asked, I guess uh, Jerry's drummer was out of town or touring with someone or whatever it was. They they were shy of drummers. So uh, Daoud went to fill in and uh, they could use a background singer. So I came along. What was it? Did, and, uh, did you have a good experience with Liz Liz Styers? Was that what who you sang with? Uh, uh, does that sound like a good experience to you? Uh, <laughs> what about John Con- oh, No, I mean, yeah, well, no. she wouldn't take any of the high notes. Right, I, I, I yeah. Go ahead. So I did all the high. I can do it all high, low, you know, whatever. I've got the range, and she didn't. And then because I'm from Philly. What do you do when the dance is you're on stage and you're a woman and you're, you know, built well and and you're singing? What do you do? You dance, right? Sure. You do steps. I mean, I learned that in the mothers. You always, you're performing. You don't want to just stand there like a stick like she did. And she couldn't keep up. So she actually complained to them about me dancing. And I'm sure I thought they, women yeah. on stage that look good, you'd want them to dance, you know? I mean, if the music is grooving, how can you not dance, you know? I mean, you're always, and why would you want someone else to groove if you're not grooving on stage? You know what I mean? How can you inspire the audience so that they're grooving if you're not grooving? Anyway. No, I mean, well, okay, so that, that, that wasn't a great experience. No, it's, and that, that, that's... Uh, she actually complained about me, and they actually told me to stop dancing, yes. Jerry told you to stop dancing. I was told to stop dancing. Yes. Right. D- looking, John Kahn, though, a, a phenomenal uh, a bass player. Bass player. Yeah. And uh, uh, and I love. I, do you know like how long you were actually with uh, the Jerry Garcia band? I mean, it, it seems to me like there's some. No, con- I don't know. Several gigs. I really, you know, as spanning. What, I don't. We were all on heroin. You know. I don't know. It's my ex-husband. Maybe okay, so, so so, but I mean, but it was it was yeah, it was. He pervas- probably still has the uh, receipts from the you know, the deposits. I know with him, but um, no, I don't. Know. 
I'm just kidding. No, it's it's okay. But, uh, That's I, right. I really I couldn't you know time really back then gets all jumbled up. I really couldn't tell you. It wasn't that long. I can tell you that much. And then because um, I moved back to Philly, I I left the scene because I didn't want to deal with the drugs, the hard drugs. Well. Uh, and so that's what happened. That's why I moved back to Philly in '82, and and uh, basically cleaned up for good. Esra, um, we have just burned through this 40 minutes, and I we didn't even get to any of the McFadden and Whitehead or any of that stuff I wanted to get to. So it, that's when I moved. That's right when I moved back to Philly. My friend Rena Sinekin was working with them, and uh, and I just came in as you know, as anything I could do. What make coffee, write the lyrics down for them, just to assist, just to be part of you know the music while they were doing the pre-production in Cherry Hill uh, Studio there, and then they were going on to do the actual album Sigma. Was on Atlantic, I believe, and uh, I was doing, you know, just I went home and wrote a song exactly for them called "Not With Me," and actually uh, it was about that that ex-husband that died, <laughs> yeah. and um, and then I came uh, back to uh, uh, the next day to work with them and played them the song, and they immediately decided to record it. End of story. It's on the album. They're um, both dead now. You mentioned Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Was that a hotbed of musical activity for you? No, it's just some place where the studio was that we had to go to. <laughs> but I mean, some of that soul music must have bled I mean, it was in. Yeah. Cherry Hill Studios or something. It was owned by, um, oh gosh, uh, Tolan, uh, Bobby Tolan's dad. What was his name? I think he was a drummer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm still friends with his son, Bobby. We're still friends. He's out in LA. You know, um, I just wanted to get your, um, as we move into the new year, uh, it's just extremely important. I wanted to get your, what, what Esther Mohawk's concept of, uh, of love is and, and how you bring love to the world. Oh my, well love, you know, it's about caring. It's about, uh, caring about the other. It's about not being so wrapped up in yourself that you can't notice someone else's suffering or, you know, love is, is, is a, is a verb. You know, it's like the old actions speak louder than words. You show love. You give love. You share. You find that everything in life is more worthwhile when it's shared uh, and and get more outside of yourself. Realize what is yourself if yourself isn't serving and helping and being useful and loving to others. Um, the whole world it extends to the whole world and all life because all life we are the same it's all life do you um can you can you talk about a period of time in your life when you had to overcome adversity and how it made you stronger every day <laughs> every day it's that ended every day i have to overcome adversity you know really and um, I, I do take it on as a Buddhist, as a challenge. Uh, and that we believe that nothing comes our way that we're not strong enough to handle or wouldn't be our karma to deal with. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be the greatest lesson to share, I think. Is that don't be swayed, don't be knocked over by the challenges in your life. They're yours to overcome and feel strong about. Do you... um? Do you, do you do you play any local gigs for fun at all, or do you your live? Perf- I did 
<laughs> fun. I did. <laughs> I did for a while, but you know, there's in here in Nashville. It's it's not fun because there's all these wannabes. There's always these no talents. Uh, you know, just filling up the air with horrible noise, and I'm just way too sensitive. I really can't listen to that crap. I've got to, you know, flee. I have to flee. So here I am on my hill, on the top of my hill. Um, you know, I, I love going out anywhere, other town, any other town. But here, it's pretty much everybody's doing the same thing, and it ain't much. Well, how many? Yeah, and how many? How many vinyl copies of the of your records do you have? Oh, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> I, I have se- I, I have I, several uh, yeah. copies of E-Turn, but I only have one or two copies of all the others. Well, I, just because you have to, I mean, you may not believe this. I, I mean, I consider myself a pretty voracious collector. Again, Tucson's not a bastion of vinyl activity, but I have never, ever come across any of your albums. Really? In And I'm, I'm maybe... Ne- I mean, never. I mean, I, I, uh, you first came on my radar because I noticed this exotic name singing in the Jerry Garcia mm-hmm. band. Okay, and then I, then as I've sort of unfolded here and listened to this Primordial Lovers, which is now my favorite. I've never seen that. I've never seen any of the the, the Sand, Sandra albums. I've never seen any of this stuff. It's, I mean, it's well, mercurial. I, it's, uh, and I was just what I was was going to get at was, uh, you know, if you could send me a, a care package, but I was just half kidding. I would love to. I'll be happy to do that. Just give me a minute to get it together. Sure. <laughs> and um, I can send, I do have the, uh, a few left of the of E-Turn in vinyl. If is that, would you, were you hankering for that? Well, uh, what year did that come out? 85. I am, no, I am very interested in Ezra Mohawk, like, 75 70 to 75 the, the 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 picture of you on the cover uh uh where you did summertime well, i i have i have um summertime uh and then self-titled one oh and, you mean the blue album the electra asylum oh, album i have a couple with, cds of that and that's about it i I'll don't have much CD left of those i'll take it. Yeah. um i do i do have the you obviously have the first album one cd because i have that which one Sandy's album. Uh, no, we just played that off YouTube. Really? Oh, yeah. No, oh, I well, then I'll, just, I'll send you one of those. <laughs> l- 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 yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> These I, things are available, by the way. People can order them. Well, they um, should. And then, and you can click click on an order form uh, that's uh, on the Buy Stuff page uh, at um, uh, esramohawk.com. Com, hello, esramohawk.com. And then uh, if you're on Facebook... Uh, you can, there's a lot of stuff you can order, uh, not as much as you can mail order. The mail order stuff I, I autograph and all, um, but the, uh, there's stuff at CD Baby, uh, about five different albums that you can choose from that are available there. You can order them for me or you can, uh, or be, you know, it's easier you use your credit card and all. <laughs> well, uh, I'll just, I mean, I'll just, we, put, I'll just put know. together, I mean, I, I just would like to, uh, maybe pick up and do a part two with you. I, I appreciate, uh, your 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 honesty and your uh, uh, just the the elasticity and originality that you've poured into your life and 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 try as we enter the new year to approach it by saying that you are have been building a legacy that I only hope uh, fifty years down the road uh, I can do with my show as you maybe are becoming aware of on Facebook where I can disseminate this stuff and drive out powerful stories that resonate with people. Like you said, love is about, it's a verb. 
and uh, that's right. that's really what my show is about. So uh, Esra, I I, um, I wish you a merry Christmas, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll be in touch. It was just an honor to talk to you. Thank you, thank you, and and Hanukkah was good, and uh, and I look forward to 2016. <laughs> and by the way, I'm not surprised you can't find my albums anywhere. I was not promoted or distributed, and I didn't find out the reason why. Till just a few years ago, and we can talk about that. And we'll pick that up. In part. No, and I'll tell you, all you need is Jake Feinberg. Business, music business intrigue. <laughs> well, and and uh, and now you're being promoted by the Jake Feinberg show. That so you know, come on, you know, I'll carry you. I'll carry you to the finish line. Don't worry about that. Oh, thank you, Jake. I need all the help I can get. You're an angel. Cheers. Nice to hear you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. It was great. All right. Great. Bye. Looking forward to the next. Definitely. Take, Take care. Bye bye. It's the Jake Feinberg Show, and we'll be back next week. Last, last show of the 2015 campaign. Jackson Kraft, another great job on the board today. Thank you so much. See you later. The Chargers moved to L.A., though. Don't you think those same diehard fans are still going to find a way to make their way up?